so those of you who are uh, recently um, just visiting, we've been kind of working through a series on, on, on elders. I've been talking about this for, uh, for almost five years now, about the importance of leadership. Uh, so the, the, the plan is over the next several weeks is to kind of dig in on this. What does it mean to have elders in the life of a body? Last week, I made my argument to have a plurality of elders, the importance of having multiple elders. Well, well, this week, uh, I'm going to talk about why it's important to have who those elders should be. Not the how many of elders, which I, I tried to make a case for last week, but the, the who of, of the elders. So in Titus chapter 1, beginning in verse 5, we read these words. This is why I left you in Crete. Paul speaking to Tim, Titus saying, listen, I left you here for a specific reason, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. So he gives this claim, we want to have elders at, in every church so that it would be a church of order. Remember last week, God is not a God of chaos, not a God of confusion, but a God of peace, a God of, God of order. But it's not the, the how many that, that Paul really focuses on here. It's kind of assumed. But it's the next thing he says, if anyone is above reproach. And then he kind of gives a qualification, a list of who those elders should be. So it's not just any group of men, but biblically qualified men. Uh, in my house, we love to laugh. So if we can laugh at anything, we, we probably will. And one of the, the, the movies that my wife and I uh, and children love to laugh at is the Lego movie. Uh, the first time I saw it in the theaters, I literally laughed out loud. It's slapstick hilarious to me. And uh, there's one character, Emmett Brutowski, who is very plain and basic. And he uh, is become, he's called the special in this movie. And he is surrounded by all these superheroes by Batman and um, Gandalf and all these, all these great characters, Superman, the Green Lantern. And he gives this speech, and this is what he says. Yes, it's true, I may not be a master builder. I may not have a lot of experience fighting or leading or coming up with plans or having any ideas in general. In fact, I'm not all that smart. I'm not what you would call a creative type, plus generally unskilled, also scared and cowardly. I know what you're thinking. He is the least qualified person in the world to lead us. And you are right. They don't allow him to, to kind of end with a flourish of, but this is what I'll do. Everyone just kind of scatters. And it's hilarious because we all know there's qualifications in leadership. And I think when we think about being qualified, I don't know if we really understand the biblical qualifications of what it means to be a leader, especially to be a leader in God's church. So this morning, we're going to look, just walking through the text, on the importance of the character of an elder. The first point this morning is the, the godly character of an elder, the godly character of an elder. So if you have your Bibles open, we're going to be going back and forth from Titus to 1 Timothy chapter 3. So Titus in 1 Timothy chapter 3, and we're going to kind of look at a comparison of who God has called to be an elder. So I'm going to start by reading Titus chapter 1, and then I'll jump back to 1 Timothy. So Titus chapter 1, again, verse 5. This is why I left you in Crete, that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. 
And here's the qualification. If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife and his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. For an, an overseer, as God's steward, must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught, so he may be able to give instruction and sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. Then you go back to Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 3. There's another list of an overseer, an elder. Paul writes to Timothy, the saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach. The husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his house, own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, into the snare of the devil. As I read those qualifications in two different places, who came to your mind? Who were you thinking about? Was there, was there, was there an image or a person in your, in your mind that, 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 that God kind of brought to your attention? Were you encouraged or something in you aspiring to, to maybe hold that kind of, of life? The, the, the list is not a, a unique list for leaders, but it's also a list for all Christians. As we'll look at next week, this idea of what an elder is in many ways is an example of how to live a godly life, how to be a godly person. The first thing I want you to notice about a godly character is that this calling to be an overseer is a noble task. It's a noble task because it's a difficult task. If you're going to be an overseer or a leader in God's church, especially in the first century, you know that you are going to be attacked. In many ways, they would be the first ones to be attacked by the culture. If you're going to try to squash a movement, the first thing you do is you strike the shepherd, as it is the Lord Christ. But not only are you attacked from the outside, but you're also attacked from the inside. Uh, leadership, as always, is the first to, to bear criticism. And if you're going to be an overseer, you're going to be the first one to serve. You're going to be the first one to show up when things need to get done. But you're also going to have to bear the weight of the responsibility of leading. We'll look at this even more next week. But if you become an overseer, the weight of responsibility on your shoulders is immense. Because God has charged men to lead people to, to glory, to heaven. And God says that these men are going to be held accountable for the souls of God's people. So when I get up in the morning and I pray, I feel the weight of standing before you and preaching. I feel the weight of your lives and how you're living your lives un, under Christ. It's no small thing. There's a weight there. So knowing that this is, you know, in our day, sometimes we want to think that being a leader is, is, is a great thing. And being a leader is a great thing, but it also bears much responsibility, especially in the household of faith. Notice here it says that a character of, a, of an elder first is, begins with aspiration. Someone has to aspire, has to have the internal desire to want to serve. 
I know many godly men who, if I list these qualifications, they meet these qualifications, except for one. They don't aspire to the, to the office. They don't want, they don't have the desire to, to serve in that capacity. And that's okay, because we know that the, the desire has been given to us by God. There's both an internal and an external call. There's an internal call, yes, I desire to be these things. Yes, I desire to live away. Yes, I desire to, to shepherd and care for, for the people of God. And then there's an external affirmation by the church to, to, to bring those two together. So the, the, the pastoral call to be an overseer, to be an elder, is not uh, less than the internal call. It's more than that, because the congregation approves. But that internal call must still be there. So when we think about elders, that's the first thing that we're looking for. We're looking for someone who, who desires to serve, knowing all the the, the responsibilities, knowing all the tasks that are going to be to come into the life of a pastor, we know that it first begins with the desire. And that desire, I believe, is given to us by God. Then we kind of see this list of qualifications. In, in verse 2 of 1 Timothy 3, it says, Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach. Words like above reproach, uh, holy, upright, they, they, they live a godly life. If someone going to look at them on the outside of the surface, they would say he, he, he lives a life, he's a life of character. He lives a, a righteous life. Does that mean he's a perfect life? No. There is no such thing as a perfect life this side of heaven, outside of Christ. But it, it, is, a, it is above reproach. They have come to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and the Lord Jesus Christ has, has so changed their hearts that they desire to live differently. They have different desires. They have different goals. They simply are above accusation on how they live their life. The text goes on. It says the husband of one wife. This has caused much debate over, over the years. Literally what it means is that is a one-woman man. I think the easiest and probably the safest uh, application of this verse is a man who is faithful to his wife, who, who has eyes for, for her and her alone. So issues of divorce and remarriage, I don't believe divorce inherently disqualifies a person from serving as an elder, but it must be considered because one of the, the, the qualifications is someone who loves and cares for and is faithful to their wife. But I also don't think it, it disqualifies someone who is single. We know that the Lord Jesus Christ was single, Paul was single, and even in, in 1 Corinthians 7, Paul extols the, the beauty of singleness but it's what it's saying is, if you are a husband, you must be a faithful husband. The list goes on, sober-minded, one who is balanced in his judgments. So this is more of the, 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 the sober-minded of, of the decision-making. You know, as, as in you're in leadership as an elder, there's many decisions that come your way, and you have to have a sober and a balanced position there. I think the other thing is self-controlled. You have a, a, a control over yourself and your own desires. One is how you think and how you make decisions. One is over your own life. Are you, are you balanced in your work and your family life? Are you balanced in, in how you take care of your, your body? Are you balanced with you, the food that you intake or, or what you drink? Or, are, or do you have a balance over your emotions? And what about your, your, are you self-controlled with your tongue? Are you will, willing to hold things in that don't need to be said? Someone is respectable, 
Again, I don't think this, this list, we could go through this list in, in detail. I don't think what Paul is going here is saying these are the lists that, that, that have to be in every situation. I think it's more of a general list, both here and Titus. I think there's some things that have to be there. But it's someone who is, who is above reproach, who, who is a godly man, who is self-controlled, who is able to control himself. But then there's a couple knots here. What, what, what an elder must not be. And I'll give you the list and then we'll walk through them briefly. An elder must not be a drunkard. They can't be someone who's given to, to drink for many reasons, but mostly because they bring reproach on the name of Christ. They don't have balanced wisdom and judgment. They're not violent or quick-tempered. These are the kind of things where you know it when you see it. So someone who is violent has a kind of an angry personality. Someone who is, is very quickly to fly off the handle. That person is not to be an elder. Three, someone who's not quarrelsome, someone who doesn't like to stir up division. Well, when you're in a leadership position, your, your job in many ways is to stop having quarrels, is to, to make sure that things uh, settle down, not uh, heighten. They must not be a lover of money or greedy for gain. Uh, we must not serve in the office of an elder only for monetary gain, but for the good of others. And Titus mentions that, that someone must not be arrogant. Someone must not be full of pride and drawing attention to themselves. If you walk through this entire list, who comes to your mind? Lord willing, as, 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 the, as the months go on, we're going to be asking you to who would you nominate to be an elder? Who is one that could, could fill these, the, the leadership of our church? Who, is there someone that comes to mind when you hear these qualifications? So when you look at the, the, the characteristics of an elder, the thing that the, the Bible lays heavy weight on is their character. It's their life that they, that they live. Now, we're going to talk a little bit about their, their competencies and the skills that they, they also should have. But we first rest on their character. Character is essential. So recent, um, this past week I was in a, a pastor's conference or pastor's retreat and talking to several pastors about their churches. And several pastors, several churches have a plurality of elders. You know, they have multiple godly men who are, who are leading their, their church. But I heard often about them having issues in their elders because they, they had elders that were not qualified. And because they weren't qualified, the church was not run well. And there was division and there was dissension. Listen, Paul set, left Timothy, Titus, and Crete to put what's in order. God wants his church in order. Why? So that we can flourish under the gospel. So we can help make Jesus Christ known in our world. That's why you want to have godly leaders. And I think that too often, someone looks the part on the surface, and we want to elevate them to a position of leadership. But remember, the way God judges leadership is not the external appearance, but the inner workings of the heart. So when you think about those who are called to lead your church, the people here at Park Baptist Church, you need to study their character, not just what they, they do on the out, external, but study who they are in, in when, um, which is difficult, who they are when no one's watching, right? But how they care for their families, how they care for their, their wives. Well, the second qualification here, outside of their general character, is how they treat their families. We've already mentioned how they treat their, their wives, both in Titus and in Timothy. They talked about how they, they manage their household. 
really that's what what the, what the church is. It's the household of faith. It's the it's the house of the household of the, of the living God. We're called to care for it and shepherd God's people. So someone must be able to manage his household well. That means you must look at their children. Are their children behaved? Are they orderly? Are they growing in the Lord? Because if he can't shepherd his small house, how can he shepherd the big house of, of faith? Because we are God's stewards. We are stewarding the things of God. In Titus, turn to Titus with me. Titus chapter 1. God's word says, If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife, same language, one woman man, and his children are believers. The word believers there sometimes is translated as faithful. It's the same idea. Are the children living in respect to their, their father? If, if, if a child will not respect their father in the home, then that man should not be a pastor. And that's really what we're talking about here. Someone who's a pastor, not vocationally, but someone who stands before God's people to, to shepherd and care for them through the word, through ministry. The home is the training ground for the church. So before people would be a pastor here, you have to talk to their families. You have to watch their children. You have to look at how they treat their, their wives. The reason is, is because when, it, when, when you're an elder, people are, are always going to be watching your life. I mean, by God's grace, we have a lot of child, college students here. Not today, right? Because they're all, all, all back home. Feels a little different without them here, doesn't it? Make sure you call them and say, please come back. <laughs> um, but what they're going to be doing, they're going to be getting married. I mean, how many marriages have we seen and, and engagements? Well, they're going to be looking at how to live their life with others. And they're going to be looking at our, our pastors, Lord willing, more than my, myself. So this idea of caring for your family is just a training ground for how you're caring for the church. Let's move on into their spiritual life. There's several things here that the Bible says in regards to their spiritual life. One, they must not be a recent convert. They must be walking with the Lord for a while. We don't want to have them be one who springs up quickly and then withers away. But have they lived their life of, of faithfulness over a period of time? There's no specification here in the Scripture in terms of how long that must be, right? There's no age requirement for an elder. But what it is, are they, are they tested in their faith? When, when, when trials have come into their life, do they, do they run away from God? Or do they stand fast upon, upon the Word? Some of the, the, the most godly men I know are, are young. God has trained them early on in their, in their life. Several places here it says that they are not arrogant, they're not pride, filled with pride, so they will not fall into the condemnation of the devil. And lastly, in Timothy, it says they must walk before the world, um, have a good reputation with outsiders, so they may not fall into disgrace, into the snare of the devil. So when someone looks at a man and how they're living their life, if someone who's not a Christian looks at that person, what would it reflect upon the character of Christ? What would it reflect upon the church? If someone found out that you were, if I was a pastor, would they say, okay, that makes sense. I, I, I see that. And it brings glory to Christ. Or would they say, really? You're a pastor? And beloved, I've seen that. I, I, I've talked with people and I've, I've had conversations and then I find out that they're in leadership at their church. And my opinion of that church goes down because of the language that they're using, the lifestyle that they're, that they're living. 
So in, in 1 Timothy 3, in Titus chapter 1, you see these pictures of godliness, of godly men leading the church. And that's the most important thing. I believe the most important thing in the life of a church is godly leaders. Godly, qualified leaders. And the first thing that is, is, is qualified is their character. The character of their spiritual life, the character in the home. The second thing, number two, is a gifted competency. A gifted competency of an elder. So turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. God's word says, And he, God, gave, gave the apostles and the prophets and the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers, to equip the saints of the work for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of, of Christ. So what you see here is that God gave gifts to the church. The gifts were pastors and teachers. The gifts were evangelists and apostles. He gave gifts. Why? For the equipping of the church. But before we get to the equipping, he gave gifts. Elders are gifts to the church. They're gifts for you so that you could walk in godliness, so that you would know the truth of the word of God as it's being taught to you. So one, elders are gifts. They're given and what do these shepherds do? They, 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 what we see here is they, they equip the saints for the work of the ministry. To build up the body of Christ. So when you look at an elder, what you have to do is you have to look at, are they equippers? Are they in their ministry? Because listen, you don't put someone in the office of an elder or an overseer if they have no fruit in their life. And I think that that's what happens way too often. People are, are put in positions of leadership when there's no fruit in their life. But because they show up. Showing up is a requirement, but it's, it's the bare minimum. So when you're an elder, what is the, the fruit of their, of their ministry? Are the people they're discipling, are the people they're teaching growing? Are they being built up into the body of Christ? Are the people that they're discipling and training, are they becoming more and more like Jesus? And are they becoming more and more like Jesus? Because equipping is both an internal and an external thing. I, I do believe that when, when a pastor teaches, there should, be, there should be things that develop in the lives of their, of their people. You know, early on in, in my life, I never thought I'd be a pastor. I, I'm, I'm usually, I was terrified to get up in front of people and speak. <laughs> believe it or not, right? Hated being in front of people. And uh, I was filling in at, at my last church where I was at, and I was just, they were without a pastor, I said, hey, if you never need someone to preach, I'd be happy to preach for you. So I was preaching at this church, and when I got there, the church was divided, and they were, they were hopeless, just didn't look like they had, a, had much of a future in their congregation. And I just preached for, um, for, for six months. I preached uh, Titus, the book that we're looking at today, uh, and, first, uh, and Second Peter. Why, I don't know, but I just preached those, those, those two books. And at the end of six months, they called a pastor, and at the end of six months, the congregation was united, and they had hope. And I didn't, I wasn't, wasn't planning any of that. I, all I did is I showed up and I preached, but at the end, seeing those changes in the people, the Lord just spoke and said, maybe this is what you should be doing with your life. Not because I, I, I thought I was in, inherently gifted, but the fruit of my ministry caused people to grow. And I'm, I'm grateful over the last five years I've, I've, I've continued to see it, right? People continue to grow under the ministry because it's the ministry of the word. Now, that, that is God's gifting to me. In your 
pursuit of Christ. Praise God for that. And I, I see others in our congregation who are doing the same thing, who are pouring their lives into others, and they're growing the people of, of God. So number one is the equipping of the saints, both the inter- internal and external, helping others grow in maturity. But basically what you see here outside of equipping the saints, how they equip the saints is the teaching of the word. So you equip the saints how you teach the word. Both, we see this in in 1 Timothy 3, it says they have to be able to teach, apt to teach. And in Titus, they have to give instruction in sound doctrine and refute those who contradict it. So when you're an elder, your main job is the teaching and the ministry of the word. Now that's not just here on Sunday morning, right? There's Sunday school, there's small groups, there's one-on-one discipleship. Who do you see in our congregation who is gifted to teach and equip? Whose ministry is effective? So you have the character, the godly life, and then you have the skill set. Remember, those are gifts that God gives people for the building up of the body of Christ. So the church would be in order. It would be a better reflection of Christ himself. Well, lastly, the given compassion of an elder. The given compassion of an elder. So when I was putting the service together today, um, I was figuring out which, 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 which should be our sermon, uh, our, our scripture reading today. And I picked Ezekiel 34, a picture of the false shepherds of Israel. And I'm saying to myself, Dave, it's Mother's Day. Do you really want to read a long passage about the false shepherds of Israel? And I debated on it. And then I'm like, yes, I do. Because what you see in in this, the false shepherds of Israel, it ends with God promising that he's going to send the good shepherd. He's going to send one shepherd, the Lord Jesus Christ. So if you have um, your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 5. I'm sorry, Matthew chapter 9. It should be on the screen behind us. Matthew chapter 9. We see the compassion of the shepherd here. Verse 35, and Jesus went throughout all the cities and all the villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like a sheep without a shepherd. And he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. So right there you see, the, you see the compassion of the Lord Jesus Christ. He sees people harassed and helpless, wandering, not going in any direction. He says, pray for laborers. Pray for, for shepherds to care for these people. Really, all that we want in an elder is someone who lives for and has the compassion of Jesus Christ. In 1 Peter chapter 5, what we see is, is, is a picture of, of the good shepherd. Of what, a picture of what shepherds are called, called to be. In 1 Peter 5, it says this, in encouraging to elders, Peter writes, So I exhort you, the elders among you, as a fellow elder and the witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker of the glory that is going to be revealed, Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those who are in your charge, but being examples to the flock. 
And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. This is a, is a foundational mark for me when I think about pastoral ministry, when I think about eldering, is that we are under shepherds of the Lord Jesus Christ. There is one head of the church, and that is Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ was the good shepherd, the good shepherd who laid down his life for his sheep, the one who, who saw the sheep being harassed and helpless without a shepherd. So what does he do? He becomes our shepherd. He dies for us. The Lord Jesus Christ, that, that perfect life, died in our place. And God raised him from the dead. So now that anyone puts their hope and their faith in Christ can be whole in him, can be blameless and, and forgiven and redeemed. He is the, the chief shepherd. And right here, what does it say? That one day the chief shepherd is going to appear and he's going to come back. But until then, he says, I need to care for my people. I need to love my, my people who are called by my name. So he says, I'm going to give them shepherds. I'm going to give them shepherds who love like I loved them. This is why the, the beginning of eldering and shepherding and pastoring begins with an aspiration. Are you willing to die for the people of God? Are you willing to, to die, meaning die to yourself daily, die to your sleep, die to your comfort, die to your pleasure for the sake of the people of God so that they will not be harassed and helpless, but they will be led on to eternal glory, holding fast to Christ until the last day. This is the gift of God to his people. He gave them shepherds until the chief shepherd appears. And beloved, there is no way that one man can do that. We need multiple under-shepherds to equip the saints for the work of ministry, to teach the congregation in sound doctrine and have the, the courage to stand up and refute those who contradict it while they're living a, a life of character and, and godliness. Elders are a gift to the church. So I mentioned my last church, and I love my last church. I was Emmanuel Baptist Church. I was there for four years. Uh, they ordained, ordained me into the ministry. I had a lot of really close friends there. And I'll never forget, um, I was here, came here in July, and we, we went back to that church in November, and I, and I, was, I, I preached uh, a message to that congregation. And while I was at church, this is a church I was there for, for four um, years. At this point, I was, I was at Park for five months. And I'll never forget at the end of the service saying, this isn't home. This isn't home. I missed Park. I missed the people of God here. This is what happens when, when God calls you to be an elder or a pastor. He gives you this immense heart for the people of God. But see, the heart that I have is not for all people. The heart that God has given me is for you. I love you. The Holy Spirit has made me an overseer of you to care for your soul. This is why I don't have to try to convince people to come and be members of the church. Why? Because if, if God brings you here, God will, will uh, give us the joy and the privilege to, to shepherd you by the power of the Holy Spirit. But that, that, that desire is given to you by God. So I'm praying 
And I want you to pray along with me that God would, would raise up in our congregation godly men who are able to teach the Word of God, who love the people of God at Park Baptist Church, who have the compassion of the Lord Jesus Christ, who are willing to, to live and to die for your sake, so that one day when the chief shepherd appears, that they would receive the unfading crown of glory. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the gift of shepherds. I thank you for the great shepherds you've given me in my life. I pray, God, that you would raise up godly men in our congregation, those who are full of character, those who are full of gifts to teach and equip the saints. Oh, God, I pray that you would grow men in our church who have a compassion, a deep longing to serve the people of God at Park Baptist Church with the compassion of the Lord Jesus Christ. We ask this in his name. Amen.